This is Unfilter, episode 265 for January 17th, 2018. I'm scratching my head. I don't understand why Donald Trump is in favor of this. His woes began right. with unlawful foreign surveillance and unconstitutional domestic surveillance of him before he was the president of the United States. And now he wants to institutionalize this. Mr. President, this is not the way to go. Spying is valid to find the foreign agents among us, but it's got to be based on suspicion and not an area code. And welcome to Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about all of that news that you should not be watching. We watch it for you. My name is Chris, and Mr. Chase is out this week with a Pacific Northwest weaponized variant of the flu. I hope you'll be back next week, but let me tell you, that's a tough one. But never fear, we have a huge show for you this week. Yes, as the intro indicates, we will be talking about Section 702, the Pfizer reauthorization, the new loopholes for the NSA, and all of those things that get me triggered. But we'll start it out first with our traditional cyber news. The big warning coming from a new U.S. government committee. The biggest warning yet. Some updates on the Russia investigation and Fusion GPS as well. Steve Blannon. Steve Blannon. <laughs> Mr. Blannon's testimony to the committee. That crazy alarm in Hawaii. We'll wrap it up with a high note. And then for dessert... A huge overtime. A lot of stuff planned for the overtime. So even though Mr. Chase couldn't make it this week, my friends, we are still going to have a great show. The live stream is here. Hopefully Mr. Blannon is not joining us live this week because he's not going to like what we have to say. This is a a great companion episode to 264. If I could give you one bit of advice, if you have the time, it might be if you have not heard 264, pause this episode – and listen to 264 first. I hate it when I do that. In fact, if I could recap in a way, I would. But in 264, we reviewed the uh, Fire and Fury book that came from Michael Wolff about the Trump administration, had lots of quotes from Steve Bannon. All of that is relevant to what we'll be talking about later on in the show today. You don't have to listen to 264, but it will give you a lot more context if you do. But but before we get there, we got Section 702 to talk about. We got cyber stuff to talk about. So let's let's get to the cyber stuff. There is limited time. There's almost no time. In fact, you might say time is running out. Well, there's new warnings this morning that time may be running out before a major cyber attack. Top U.S. lawmakers now say that the Russians, Iranians, and others may actually already be on your computer, so to speak. <gasps> it's almost like an axis of evil. Yeah, but it doesn't stop there. No, no. Of course, you have this new alert. But then you also have former intelligence officials going out and hyping up things. You remember Mike Rogers, the NSA director who was in charge when the Snowden leaks happened? It's been more than a year since we last spoke. And I'm curious, how much more serious do you believe the threats 
the cyber threats on America are today than they were a year ago. So this is uh, Michael Rogers, right? No, 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 no. I am sorry. Michael Rogers is the name of the existing one. I think one. the threats have grown significantly. Oh, really? That's weird. Uh, this is uh, this was Mr. Alexander. And will continue to grow. Yeah. So this is Mr. Oh, right. Okay. So Alexander, uh, he is now the head of IronNet which is a cybersecurity company that gives cybersecurity advice to governments and large corporations. So what are the chances that he's going to say the cybersecurity threat is worse now when that's how he makes money? I think the threats have grown significantly. And Shocker! Will continue to grow. When you think about... So old Keith here is trading on his credibility as a former head of the NSA. He's trading on that cachet, that name, to give authority to IronNet, which is uh, Iron with two N's. So it's kind of an awkward spelling if you want to look it up. Uh, he's, he's trading on that. He's cashing in on that name. All that's going on, the number of, of devices that are connecting to the network, how we're becoming increasingly more digitized... Um, the impact to our nation for cybersecurity is growing and is becoming the top threat that we face as a country. Oh, OK. OK. The top threat. The top threat that we face is uh, we face. So does that mean that uh, does that mean that Al Qaeda? Does that mean ISIS? The ish is no longer the top threat. Well, top intelligence officials are now warning that cyber attacks are a bigger threat to our national security, really, than Al Qaeda is at this point. Yeah, this has been this that actual narrative has been ongoing for years now. Now, that's an old clip. Even it's just something that's been ongoing for a long time, but it's been amped up now. It's been modified. It's been renewed for the new generation. Now, uh, a very disturbing new warning that Russian hackers who stole Democratic Party emails uh, have their sights on the United States Senate. Let's go to our justice correspondent, Jessica Schneider. She's here in the Situation Room with details. Jessica, a cybersecurity firm is sounding the alarm. That's right, Wolf. I talked to a top expert from that firm today. He tells me they've been tracking these hackers associated with the Russian government for years. And now they've discovered that those same hackers who targeted the DNC in 2016, well, they're working on a similar scheme at the U.S. Senate even designing sites that look official to try to fool U.S. senators and their staffers. Not to fry too much conspiracy bacon. Right here at the top of the show in the cyber segment. First segment of the show. But if I could go live in a desert for six months and do nothing but think about how to make money, you know what I would come to? I would come to... This perfect combination. I would take my previous skills as a systems penetration tester and I would match them up with somebody that has a lot of credibility, like perhaps Mike Rogers, um, not the guy in the NSA now, but the uh, former senator who was on the intelligence committee. I would bring them on to my business to give me credibility. And then I would align myself with the political de jour moment of the year. So if it's China, I would, I would start attributing massive attacks that have been mysteries to China. If it was Russia at the time, I would go for Russia. If it's Canada, right? So let's, just, let's pretend like it's Canada for a moment. What I would do is I'd say fishnet security uh, attributes all of these attacks to Canada. And if that's what the federal government wanted, who are they going to give their money to? Right? If that is what the political movement wants, is they want it to be Canada. Those sons of bitches up in Canada. Well, then wouldn't you give your money to the company that's blaming Canada? 
you're probably not going to give your money to the company that's blaming the CIA, that's blaming the federal government, that's blaming incompetence at the actual company, perhaps, that's blaming an insider attack. You're probably not going to give your money to that company. You're going to give your money to the company that's blaming Canada. And all of a sudden, they become the de facto expert on the topic because they're the one that's getting hired. They're the big experts. They're the one that they talk about. And all of a sudden, Fishnet Security is the biggest cybersecurity brand because the federal government's been pumping millions and millions and millions and maybe even billions of dollars into my bank account because everything I keep finding points to Canada. Tonight, an alarming warning from a cybersecurity firm that's been tracking Russian government-aligned hackers for years. Their next target is the United States Senate. The hacking group, often nicknamed Fancy Bear, has honed in on the Senate's internal email system, according to a new report from Trend Micro Incorporated. Apparently, hackers run GNOME. I don't know if you guys noticed that, uh, but for the audio listeners, that uh, cool cyber typing sound that every hacker machine has is uh, running GNOME 3 in this video, which is pretty cool. Fancy Bear is the same Russian-linked entity that hacked the Democratic National Committee computer network during the election. Security researchers discovered suspicious websites designed to resemble those used by the Senate, and when they cross-referenced those sites with the digital fingerprints associated with Fancy Bear, they matched. Trend Micro used... So this is the fascinating thing, is um, the, the, the Fancy Bear attackers who have been on the run for years... Uh, who penetrated the DNC network, who are now going after the Senate, who went after the White House's public network system. All of this has been attributed to Fancy Bear and more. How do they do it? How do they do it? How do they do it? Phishing sites. These elite Russian hackers are just getting stupid, unobservant, average users to log into fake sites. And they're using an open-source framework to do it. Well, you see, once upon a time, on a Russian form, actually, not even a Russian form, a Ukrainian form, I'm not making this up, on a Ukrainian form, posted by a Ukrainian army member, some malware, a frame, this open-source framework, he posted it there. It was written there in Ukraine by the Ukrainian military, and he posted it. That's been picked up. It's spread all over the internet like open source software does. And every time it gets used, they attribute it to Fancy Bear. It's open source software to build phishing sites posted by a Ukrainian army member, I think back in 2014, if my memory's right. And that's the, that's the digital fingerprints. That's the evidence that points to the Russian. That's the evidence that points directly to Putin. That's it. Ukrainian malware created by the Ukrainian military in 2014 that was published on a public website, a forum, just a piece of shit forum, a really uh, just a crappy forum. And then it got taken from there, it got published everywhere. So probably millions of people have seen the code. Reference those sites with the digital fingerprints associated with Fancy Bear, they matched. Trend Micro used the same technique when it discovered decoy websites apparently set up to harvest emails from now French President Emmanuel Macron's campaign in April. Because we've been tracking them for so long, it gives us a very high level of confidence because they've left a little bit of evidence after every attack. So what Trend Micro is doing, what CrowdStrike is doing, is they know which way the wind is blowing. That wind has the smell of money. And so they follow that. And that scent leads them to blaming Russia. And if you blame Russia, you get more money. You could, 
maybe maybe if you've never been a contractor, if you've never tried to sell business, if you've never tried to have a, a contract, I had a client, so I actually have some direct firsthand experience with this. Uh, I had a con, I had a client, and their keys, their that like eighty percent of the revenue for this company. It's a it's a really well known company in renewable energy. It's they make the best inverters in renewable energy, and they were my IT client, and. The U.S. government wanted their inverters on their rigs in the desert. And the company had to go through this process to become a full-fledged supplier of the U.S. government and specifically the military and all of these certifications. And I've watched this. I've watched how this works when the government becomes – when you realize from a small business or large business standpoint, this was a 100-person company at the time. And they, they, they realized we can stop selling to people on the internet, which they were one of the first people to do this. That's because I'm an old man. We can stop selling to people that have shacks out in, the, out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of the desert in Arizona that want to set up solar panels. We can stop selling to them and we can sell to the U.S. military. And so many things began to change. And that's exactly how these cybersecurity companies like Trend Micro, like Symantec, like CrowdStrike. That's exactly the same thing that happens. The U.S. government becomes your number one client and you do anything to make that number one client happy. By the way, patreon.com slash unfilter. Become our number one client. Let's keep talking about Russia. Let's talk about Fusion GPS. Welcome back. Significant details today in the Russia investigation. We're hearing from the man behind the Trump dossier in his own words. We now know what Glenn Simpson, the founder of Fusion GPS, the firm that commissioned the alleged dossier, told congressional investigators. This is our first substantial peek into what Fusion GPS was doing, how they carried out their investigation, what U.S. authorities knew when, at least as far as they were concerned. Judiciary Committee Ranking Member Dianne Feinstein released the transcript of the Simpson testimony today against the wishes of a Republican counterpart. The- so you remember the story. We covered it. If you, you might not, but we, recovered it in two, we covered it in 264. There is an update now. I don't have audio on it, but I want to tell you what the update is. The update is, is that Dianne Feinstein announced or released that she regrets releasing the transcript and says that she hasn't been feeling well recently and that may have attributed to her lapse in judgment. No shit. That's what she said. She released a statement saying that. <laughs> I don't know. What do you make of that? Like, if you're if you're like 84 years old, is that, I mean, I just is that what I mean, is that okay? Are we just all okay with that? No coverage. No coverage. I got no audio on it because nobody covered it. Although if Steve Bannon all of a sudden has to uh, cooperate with a special counsel, that gets some coverage. First, breaking news in the Russia investigation. After his unfiltered comments created a firestorm for the Trump administration, former chief strategist Steve Bannon told congressional investigators. Now that uh, where she says there when his unfiltered comments created a firestorm, she's referring to the fire and fury book that we talked about last week. And it was... No coincidence that just after that book came out, Steve Bannon ended up getting subpoenaed. 
that the White House told him he could not answer their questions in the Russia probe, leading Congress to subpoena his testimony, along with another reported subpoena from the Mueller investigation. Bannon was behind closed doors at the House Intelligence Committee for nine and a half hours, where lawmakers say he told them that he was willing to answer, but could not at the direction of the White House. The committee immediately issued a subpoena to compel his testimony, but Bannon attorney William Burke conferred with White House officials who continued to insist that Bannon should still not answer the committee's questions. Yesterday, the White House said this about Bannon's testimony. No one's uh, encouraged him to be anything but transparent, uh, but there is a process of how, what that looks like and what that process should should go through. We've been completely uh, cooperative throughout this entire process. We're going to continue to be cooperative, but we're also going to maintain uh, some of the executive privileges here at the White House that have been practiced for decades and that need to be maintained. The subpoena remains in effect. Uh, there are questions that we asked that kind of were not answered, and we're going to resolve those issues to get the answers to our questions. We're going to get the answers from Mr. Bannon that, uh, that we did not get answered today. The scope of this assertion of privilege, if that's what it is, um, is breathtaking. If the White House is permitted to maintain that kind of a gag rule on a witness, no congressional investigation could ever be effective. Uh, so this obviously can't stand. Um, we expect to have Mr. Bannon back in, we hope, uh, very soon. Eric Holder used this same exact defense to essentially prevent any full investigation into the Fast and Furious scandal. Remember that? Member? Member Fast and Furious? Eric Holder used executive privilege to avoid releasing any discussions. So the Trump administration is essentially using the defense that the Obama administration used during Fast and Furious. Uh, with a different position by the White House because this position is completely unsustainable. Let's bring in NBC News Chief White House Correspondent Hallie Jackson, New York Times reporter Michael Schmidt. Michael, who broke the story of Bannon's subpoena to testify. Before now, Michael is from the New York Times, and I'm going to stop there because I, I always hate their analysis. Uh, not, not the New York Times, but just the panels. Uh, and I want to actually focus more in on Schiff there for a moment. So that was uh, Sheriff Woody. Uh, it's funny that his last name is Schiff, which kind of looks like Sheriff. Anyways, that's, that was Sheriff Woody talking about uh, the investigation, and he goes on CNN. Right before the break, we uh, broke the story about how some in President Trump's orbit, friends and senior advisors, are telling him he should not sit for an interview with special counsel Robert Mueller. Joining me now is the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff of California. Uh, Congressman Schiff. Adam Schiff has been doing this since the Russia investigation began. Anytime there's any interesting development, Adam Schiff runs to the media to report on it. This you could you can you can say Devin Nunes has politicized some of this or Grassley has politicized some of this, but nobody politicizes this like Adam Schiff. Ain't nobody politicizing this like Adam Schiff. And he comes on here the moment he has something to say. The moment he has something to say, he comes on and he talks. Right before the break, we uh, broke the story about how some in President Trump's orbit, friends and senior advisors, are telling him he should not sit for an interview with special counsel Robert Mueller. Joining me now is the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Adam Schiff of California. Uh, Congressman Schiff, thanks for being here. What's your reaction to CNN's reporting? 
Well, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, some of the people around the president are urging him not to speak with the special prosecutor. But I don't think the president's going to have much choice about that. Uh, the special prosecutor, special counsel, is going to need to speak with him. And I don't think written answers are going to do any good. So the Trump administration wants to supply written answers. The lawyer goes in, says, special counsel wants to know this, Mr. President. What are your responses? Trump dictates his responses to the lawyer. The lawyer brings the paper back to special counsel, says, here's the answers. This is what the Trump administration wants. Probably because then Trump can't ramble. Answers are the lawyer's testimony, really not uh, the individual. Uh, and here, obviously, the president has a lot to say uh, when it comes to uh, Russia and the connections with Russia. Obviously, the president has a lot to say when it comes to Russia and the connections to Russia. Well, we all know what that would be. No collusion. Has a lot to say uh, when it comes to... You see how he smiles a little bit in the corner of his eyes when he says that? Good. Written answers are the lawyer's testimony, really not uh, the individual. He's, he's up to something. You can see it right in the corner of his eyes. Uh, and here, obviously, the president has a lot to say uh, when it comes to uh, Russia and the connections with Russia. Uh-huh, yeah. I have a theory. I have a theory. And the theory goes like this. They're hoping, just like how they got Manafort online. You see, so far, if you look at who they've gotten, they're getting, they're getting them on technicalities about the investigation, not on Russia collusion. See, they're catching them, even Michael Flynn, Flynn, Flynn <laughs> Finn, not Finn from Adventure Time, Michael Flynn, they're, they're catching him on technicalities about the investigation or about financing or about how he represented foreign agency, not on Russia collusion. I suspect that the hope is that if they bring Trump in and investigate him, he will ramble on and say something, something else that gives them legitimate justification to investigate his finances, his business ties, something that gives them traction where they can expand the investigation and nail him. That's the goal now. Let Trump sink himself. Make him start talking. Trigger him. Get him going. And then sink him with his own words. Uh, Mike Flynn, uh, as well as uh, the issue uh, of obstruction of justice. So I think he has a lot to say and a lot that the special counsel will want to hear, regardless of um, the scope of what the special counsel. He's he's almost giddy. I apologize to you, audio listeners, because I know you just but uh, I've never seen Sheriff Woody this pleased is looking at. I think his testimony is going to be very necessary. Um, but I'd be worried if I were uh, one of the president's advisors. I mean, just look at this morning. The president issued a statement uh, after watching Fox that was patently false. You see what he's saying here? If I was one of their advisors, I'd be a little worried because uh, he has a tendency to just sort of run off at the mouth. And, uh, I mean, just look at his Twitter feed. Uh, I'd be a little worried. Special counsel is looking at, I think, his testimony is going to be very necessary. Um, but I'd be worried if I were uh, one of the president's advisors. I mean, just look at this morning. The president issued a statement uh, after watching Fox that was patently false. Uh, and then it was forced to correct it uh, minutes later. Uh, that's a He's ex He is literally saying Trump says stuff that he doesn't actually necessarily know is true or doesn't doesn't have doesn't isn't true and then has to correct That's, and they want him to do that in testimony very uh, scary prospect as a lawyer to have a client like that he is literally putting it all out there this is the strategy he's 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 being obvious as as much as he can because he he can't come out and just say it but he's actually relaying 
the, he's messaging here. The strategy is bring Trump in in front of Mueller, even if it's just in his office or Mueller comes to the White House and let Trump just talk himself into a hole. And Sheriff Woody is just sitting here and telling Tapper this. He's just giving him the new strategy. So it's no longer collusion. or any, and They're just going to let Trump lay his own bed and then that will be what they get him on. We're uh, one of the president's advisors. I mean, just look at this morning. The president issued a statement uh, after watching Fox that was patently false. Uh, and then- yeah, that is a good catch too, Discord. Uh, that's Stephen. The Discord says, "Are you noticing how uh, the Donald Trump tweets now are presidential statements?" I don't know exactly how that works. I I think the White House has said that they are statements by the president. Um, I would think I would interpret I would interpret at POTUS as the official statements and at Donald Trump as the president's opinions. That's how I personally interpret it. But uh, I think the White House has actually said that at at Donald Trump, at the real Donald Trump or whatever his Twitter handle is, um, actually don't – it is at real Donald Trump, isn't it? (laughs) Was that even a thing? Anyways, um, I think the White House has said they consider those to be official statements. But good catch, Discord. We're uh, one of the president's advisors. I mean just look at this morning. The president issued a statement uh, after watching Fox. That-, that does sound way more official than a tweet. That is that is smooth, smooth politician speak right there. That was patently false. Uh, and then it was forced to correct it uh, minutes later. Uh, that's a very uh, scary prospect as a lawyer to have a client like that. In your, in your view, Congressman, does the special counsel need to be interview Trump for the investigation uh, to be completed? Uh, or, or would written answers, for example, suffice? I think he will need to interview the president. Uh, and no, I don't think uh, written answers will suffice. Uh, That's the plan right there. Get Trump in there and get him to dig his own hole, make his bed and lay in it. And then they'll just like that's what they've actually that's what they've done to every single person. That's interesting. Every, that's how that's all gone down now for all these guys. They bring them in. They ask them questions. They find the loophole. They make their own bed and they lay down in it. And now they're going to do it to Trump. Maybe. We'll see how far this goes, won't we? I'll keep watching it and let you know. <laughs> oh, man. This Bannon stuff, though. People are fired up about Bannon right now. Steve Bannon. So what happened with Steve Bannon today? He was invited to come and speak to the committee. He says, yes, he comes. And then what happens? Quite literally. Every development that can be politicized, Adam Schiff goes on CNN and does it the moment he can. The further into this interview, there's some sort of alarm going off. Like, it's just it's weird, like how set Adam Schiff is on making every little thing scandalous about this investigation. Well, and then he refused to answer a broad range of questions uh, concerning any meeting, conversation uh, or discussion that took place either during the transition or while he was with the White House and a significant set of uh, conversations that may have taken place even after he left the White House. Uh, So we served him with a subpoena during the hearing to convert it from a voluntary appearance to a mandatory one. Uh, His counsel then went back to the White House and came back to us was essentially the same gag rule from the White House, which is yeah, it doesn't it doesn't change anything. So the subpoena is serious, right? That's a that's a that's a serious step. But it doesn't change executive privilege. They've been instructed not to answer anything to the, during those time periods. Uh, so we asked questions about the campaign. Uh, and then we laid a record by asking him all the questions that we had during transition and thereafter. In other words, we made a political stunt. Uh, 
if it's necessary to go to court to enforce this. So that's how they have to enforce this. If they want to force Bannon to testify, even though he's been subpoenaed, even though he's been subpoenaed, if they want to force him to testify, they have to go to court. They have to fight it in court. And that will essentially challenge executive privilege, which I doubt the Democrats want to chip too far away at because it's very handy. Just ask Obama. So it was from the White House. It wasn't Steve Bannon saying, no, I don't want to talk to you because that would have been odd. He accepted the invitation. So something happened between the time he accepted the invitation and he came into your uh, into the into the uh, meeting today. So Steve Bannon arrives at the hearing. From the White House. So Steve Bannon goes to the White House first, probably makes up and kisses with Trump, gets briefed and then goes to the hearing from the White House. What do you make of that? Well, apparently, Mr. Bannon was willing to testify before the committee. That was the representation of counsel that he was not choosing to decline answering these questions uh, on his own accord, but rather. So Bannon says, hey, 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 I, w- I would love to answer these questions, but I've been told this is executive privilege because he was acting under the instructions of the White House. Uh, counsel did make it clear that uh, he had informed uh, a lawyer for the majority. Uh, now, that came as news to, I think, all of the rest of us. Uh. So let me translate uh, what Adam Schiff just said here, uh, because this is actually kind of important. Uh, they were warned that Steve would not be able. What he just said is that they were warned that Steve Bannon would not be able to answer questions before he even showed up. That's what if you listen, that's what Adam Schiff's saying. When he says the majority, he means the Republicans because the Republicans have the majority and the White House communicates with the majority. If it's the Democrats, if it's the Republicans, they message to the majority and then the majority relays it to everyone else. And so the majority was informed by the White House that Steve Bannon would be unable to answer questions before the hearing even started. Questions of the White House. Uh, counsel did make it clear that uh, he had informed uh, a lawyer for the majority. Uh, now, that came as news to, I think, all of the rest of us uh, in the room. The majority, the Republicans, chose not to tell the Democrats. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, they uh, insisted on following the advice of the White House and refused to answer this very broad set of questions. Eric Holder. Oh. Uh, and so, of course, Sheriff Woody is pretty upset about he's pretty upset about that. And uh, if they go to court, it will be specifically challenging executive privilege, which will chip away at the power of the White House. I don't care. I mean, whatever. But if I was the president of the United States, I would want to have the privilege of having a conversation with somebody and not have to worry that it would just take a political motive of Congress to all of a sudden have that exposed to the world. It seems like that would sort of uh, render a leader a bit impotent. If he could never speak freely. God, could you how awful? Jeez, now I think about it. That sounds like worst case scenario. If the president cannot speak freely with his advisors. If he has to be careful and couch everything and and be politically correct and talk, talk sort of uh, carefully and guarded about everything. They would never have any real actual conversations about the hard things. So a president kind of has to rely on executive privilege, doesn't he? So we'll see if Adam Schiff wants to destroy executive privilege so that way he can get testimony from Steve Bannon. I felt like we've talked a lot about right and left. I think this, this Russia investigation brings it out. But there's an issue that transcends right and left. Uh, and it's, 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 it's sort of... It sort of even transcends uh, nationalism. It is 
It is about human freedom. It's about your ability to live a life without being monitored and spied upon. And we've been following the reauthorization of Section 702, which is the FISA court, the foreign FISA court. The background here will come up in one of these clips, so I won't go into it now. I'll leave it for somebody else. But you know if you've been listening to this show since about episode 50-ish, this is something we care a lot about. And I'm going to go into more detail in the overtime. But I've been following the the reauthorization of Section 702 debates for months and months and months and months. I think a year, actually, maybe. And it's been it's been interesting because the conversation has been slipped into a lot of different testimony, even during this Russia investigation, but stuff outside of this, too. Section 702 kept coming up. And it may have completely avoided public attention, if not for Donald Trump's controversial Twitter feed. And... Thanks to that Twitter feed, it became part of the public discussion, at least for a day. It is a bit of a confusing morning, to say the least, Kayla. Yeah, that's right, John. A lot of contradictions and cleanups going on this morning, and it's only 10 a.m. here at the White House. Notice how she won't actually say FISA 702, NSA spying. She won't use any of those words here for a few bits. She just keeps talking about it without saying what it is. Because the president seemed to come out against a bill less than 12 hours after the White House issued a statement endorsing the exact legislation that's going to a vote in the House today. Now, it all got started when the president tweeted this morning at about 7.30 saying, House votes on controversial FISA Act today. Oh, um... Boy, it's I, – I mean I am not the person to be pronunciation police. If you've listened to any of my shows, you know that I have a horrible track record at accurate pronunciation and I am never the grammar police online. That said, the FISA court is a well-known term that has been around since the end of the Nixon administration. And has been an active topic of conversation since the name Edward Snowden became public. Okay, And it has been talked about even more since the Donald Trump campaign got spied upon. And in every single damn instance of the word, every single person in the entire world has pronounced it as FISA. Now, I don't give a shit how you pronounce it. But it strikes me, it strikes me that this expert, this expert at CNN, who is obviously an expert because she's standing in front of the White House, she's in the lawn of the damn White House on CNN. She's got a jacket that's specifically cut to show her cleavage right below the lower third, and she just got tossed to by one of CNN's news guys to give us her expert opinion on the situation. And yet she doesn't know it's pronounced FISA? A vote in the House today. Now, it all got started when the president tweeted this morning at about 7.30 saying, House votes on controversial FISA Act today. This is the act that may have been used with the help of the discredited and phony dossier to so badly surveil and abuse the Trump campaign by the previous administration and others. Now, that comes less than 12 hours after the press secretary, Sarah Sanders, issued a statement endorsing no changes to this to this amendment that is awkward to this bill saying in the statement that they urged the house to quote preserve the useful role FISA section 702 authority plays in protection of american lives now those things would seem to completely contradict each other a statement 
from the White House on the administration's position on this and then a statement from the president on what the president thinks of this. She's trying to – oh, God, she must be new. She's trying to say that Trump essentially contradicted the official statement of the White House, which in theory should be representing the president's opinion. Um, but I suspect what happened is Trump's watching Fox. That could be really what happened. Uh, sees them talking about it and says, no, we shouldn't reauthorize FISA because it was abused. And then somebody comes up to Donald Trump and says, uh, Mr. Um, uh, can I come in there, Mr. President? Uh, Mr. President, do you have your robe on? And uh, the uh, the special um, – I don't know who it is – special representative from the intelligence agency. Maybe it's the DNI. Uh, I don't know who it is. Comes in there and says, Mr. President, the FISA, the FISA reauthorization is solely about foreign surveillance. Foreign surveillance, Mr. President, not domestic surveillance. And then Trump goes, oh. And he, re- he tweets again and says, "I, you know, I'm fine with spying on everybody else. Is, that's fine. Let's reauthorize that. Now, those of you who have been listening to the show for a while know that there's this silly little thing called incidental collection. And you can be like four Kevin Bacons out and they'll still be able to spy on you even if you're a domestic U.S. citizen. And there's these loopholes that the FISA court authorizes. You can go and say get a authorization to monitor all of T-Mobile's customers with one single warrant. And you can claim you're filtering out all of the other people that are not foreign, but uh, accidentally we collected some stuff. So the judge has his take on this. A House lawmakers are set to vote on whether to renew a controversial surveillance program backed by the White House as a crucial measure in protecting all of us against terrorism. But Judge Napolitano says it puts the constitutional privacy rights of every American at risk. How do you explain that? Well, it's a very dangerous program. Look, in the Nixon era, when President Nixon used the FBI and the CIA to spy on his political opponents, the response to that was FISA, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which said no spying unless done through a warrant, except it permitted warrants for mass bulk spying, that Mm -hmm. is, spying on huge numbers of people. Which they do every day. A zip code, an area code, a customer customer list. One of the uh, warrants was for all customers of Verizon. Mm-hmm. That's 115 million people without any suspicion or allegations against any of them. That program is about to expire on January 19th. The president wants it renewed, but he wants it renewed even stronger. He wants it renewed so that if a conversation in its, innocently picked up by, by domestic spies right. reveals a, a criminal act. Unrelated that, to terrorism. Uh, correct. Totally unrelated uh, to terrorism that that information can be used in, in the prosecution of, of the crime. That violates the whole purpose of the Fourth Amendment, which is to prevent suspicionless surveillance and to deny the use of that evidence to the police. I know the House Freedom Caucus doesn't like this whole program because so many Americans are targeted, whether we know it or not. But for them, for the White House to be behind the part that will open more Americans up, that's surprising for the administration because it was the FISA and essentially this whole program 
that got Donald Trump in trouble with the Russian you know, stuff. Not in, his fault. I, in, in my column this morning at FoxNews.com and elsewhere, I did my best to explain the history of this and why it's against the Constitution. And at the end, I said, I'm scratching my head. I don't understand why Donald Trump is in favor of this. His woes began right. with unlawful foreign surveillance and unconstitutional domestic surveillance of him before he was the president right. of the United States. And now he wants to institutionalize this. Mr. President... This is not the way to go. Spying is valid to find the foreign agents among us, but it's got to be based on suspicion and not an area code. And, Judge, it's got to be based on fact. Uh, our lead story today was about how apparently that dirty dossier filled with stuff that was just made up right. apparently was used in part to get a FISA warrant to spy on President Trump and candidate Trump and his, all of his people. Because they knew that the court is issuing these warrants and it shouldn't be. I don't know where, where this is going to go. Ran, uh, Senator Rand Paul said, He's going to filibuster it. That's going to depend on, on and you would support how, that. how strong, how long he can stand in the well of the uh, of the Senate. There are Democrats who oppose it, liberal Democrats, and there are libertarian Republicans who oppose it. We'll see what happens. Uh, one other uh, story that is making news. So actually, we can cut off there because I want to actually go to the liberal Democrats that are covering it. Um, I am not the biggest fan of um, Ron Wyden. Although I, I agree with him on, on – uh, I deeply agree with him on the National Security Agency. There's some things I disagree with him on, but I'm really glad that he and Rand are taking a bipartisan approach to this. The Senate vote on FISA is expected sometime later this week. So why will so many lawmakers be voting to further destroy our freedom and right to privacy? Right? Like why do you want to even be a representative in this constitutionally protected country? I don't get it. Oh, right. Oh, wait. Yes. Yes, I do get it. How could I? How could I forget? It's it's of course it's about the Anderson Cooper. Oh, my gosh. It's Anderson Cooper. everybody. What? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm getting a correction. It, it's a, it's about the money and that. You know what really grinds my gears? That grinds my gears because these these guys want to get in there and they want to get in on the big the big privileged committees like the Intelligence Committee because they, then they can make even more money and have more political influence and more political power and they can then uh, leapfrog that to another big thing in their career. And so they just become a bunch of greedy, twisted sons of bitches instead of defending the Constitution, which made this country great. Joining me now, very first time to the show, Oregon Senator Ron Wyden. Welcome, Senator. Thank you, Kennedy. Let's make sure we do it again, too. Uh, I certainly hope that there is a way of reversing the House's horrible decision on this garbage legislation. In your ideal world, I know that you and Senator Rand Paul have authored almost identical, uh, a Senate version of what Justin Amash had proposed uh, in his amendment. In your ideal scenario, what would the Senate pass? Kennedy, what our bipartisan coalition wants to do is make sure there's no end run on the Constitution. We don't take a backseat to anybody in terms of going after terrorists overseas. But what has happened now that communication systems around the globe have become interconnected, more and more law-abiding Americans are getting swept up in those searches. So I don't know why he's talking like this or reading like this. It's weird, but maybe 
Maybe he's been advised that this is how he's got to talk to get people fired up. For example, you could have a business person here in the United States talking to a foreigner and they might have their emails swept up in that collection. So <laughs> I don't know why he's talking. This is so distracting. What we want to do is say that unless there's an emergency, that business person's data can only be searched if you get a warrant. Yeah, and, and now with this uh, legislation that will unfortunately probably also pass the Senate, uh, that about collection returns. And that was the one where FISA, the FISA court, swatted down the NSA for targeting people who weren't sending or receiving emails, but whether there was something about someone who was a target. And that is incredibly problematic because if... It actually goes deeper than that. I'm going to go back to the judge here for a second. There's a part of the clip that I didn't play for you. Uh, let's see if I can find it. This is going to be kind of random because I didn't plan to talk about this, but it's kind of crazy important. FISA warrant to spy on President Trump and candidate Trump and all of nope, his people. That was it. Let me jump ahead. I'm doing this. Going to do this in real time because uh, Senator Rand Paul says he's going to filibuster it. That's going to depend. Yeah. Anyways, uh, there is there's more. They're, they're, they're essentially they're passing the FISA reauthorization uh, amongst other things. So it's going to be all batched in there. And in there, it's going to be even it's even going to be sort of more um, even more generous. And it's locked in for six years. It'll be locked in for six more glorious, glorious years just around the corner. Snooping powers have been renewed by the U.S. House of Representatives for the FBI and President Trump, making it easier essentially for the intelligence community to monitor communication. And the amendment to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act has received some unexpected support. Well, for more on all this, I'm joined live by Caleb Maupin on the program. Uh, Caleb, just talk us through what all this actually means, especially for ordinary uh, Americans. And what was the rationale as well of those in the House of Representatives who backed it? Now, the Congress was debating the reauthorization of the FISA law, and uh, essentially Donald Trump was proposing an amendment to the law that would require the FBI to get a warrant, uh, require the FBI to get a warrant before getting access to uh, recordings and surveillance done by the National Security Agency, the NSA. Now, uh, Nancy Pelosi and many Democratic leaders, along with many Republicans, spoke in opposition, saying that the FISA law is fine just the way it is. Uh, let's take a listen to some of the Democrats speaking in favor of this law. And you'll hear this from any advocate, anybody that comes on CNN or MSNBC. They're going to tell you one thing. It's about foreign surveillance. It's about foreign surveillance. It's not about it's, – it's un-American to not – reauthorize this because it's not about spying on Americans. It's about foreign surveillance. As we protect and defend the American people and the Constitution and their rights, we have to have that balance. Was it Thomas uh, Benjamin Franklin said if we don't... Who? Benman? Benman? Who is it? I'm sorry. Benman? Was it Benman? I'm sorry, Nancy, what? Constitution ...and their rights. We have to have that balance. Was it Thomas uh, Benjamin Franklin said if we don't fight for... for private security and freedom we won't have either. Well, I'm convinced. It's not right to say there is nothing in this bill that protects the privacy of the American people. From my experience in all of this uh, and with weighing the equities involved, that that's the path that I will take. 
Now, um, the bill essentially, uh, you know, the, the privacy provisions that were proposed and supported by Trump are being opposed. Um, and it's we'll stop there because the uh, the sound clip under the clip is distracting. But I I really think it's interesting how it's just all framed around. Well, this is foreign surveillance. It's yeah, it's how they do it. That's the loophole. It's incidental collection around foreign surveillance. So we'll be watching Section 702. I suspect when we do Episode 266, Red Book Prediction, FISA will be reauthorized by Episode 266, unless something unbelievable happens. But to my prediction is that by Episode 266, FISA will be reauthorized. There was that um, missile threat in Hawaii that, you know, we got to talk about this. We don't got to we don't got to like go too far into it. We're not going to go down any conspiracy bacon rabbit holes. But let's set the scene. Imagine what it would be like for this to happen to you. You're sitting back, your comfy chair, you're good and fed. You're watching your sports ball when you get the message of doom. I take you back to the moment as it happened in real time to people living in Hawaii. As the first half comes to an end, I'm being... And they also have a scrolling red text along the top of it. it says the Pacific Command has detected a missile. Command has detected a missile threat to Hawaii. A missile may impact on land or sea within minutes. This is not a drill. If you are indoors, stay indoors. If you are outdoors, seek immediate shelter in a building. Remain indoors well away from windows. If you are driving, pull safely to the side of the road and seek shelter in a building or lay on the floor. We will announce when the threat has ended. This is not a drill. Take immediate action measures. Repeat. It's hard to really put yourself in that position, though. But really, I mean, for me as a parent, uh, I don't know. I, I That actually really gives me some pause. It was fear. Just fear of, like, I wasn't with my kids. I was going to die. My kids could die. Um, what was I going to do? I felt a little unease, but I went into a serious mode and decided that maybe it would be a good time to take my family underneath our staircase. I was horrified. I was thinking of my family. My wife had gone out for a walk. She immediately called me. She had received the same text. I knew it was important for us to be together. Jeez, could you imagine? I could easily see me working at home in the morning and Hadia taking Levi out for a walk and getting this message. That moment. There was really nothing I could do. I was in an area where I didn't have any friends where I could go to their home. So I literally just sat in my car kind of worried that that was it for me because I didn't have a shelter to go to, like it said. Uh, it was an immediate relief, but also then anger afterwards that one, something like that could happen. Um, and put so many people in such a panic um, and then that it took so long for them to correct the action to make sure that people knew that they were safe. So why did it take so long? Well, if you look in the unfiltered show notes, I have a screenshot of the UI. You've probably seen it. It looks like Craigslist, essentially. They have this super good enough for government style website that looks like a shitty version of Craigslist and you have test... And actual sound sound the alarm. They're next to each other. They're all blue links on a white background text web page. And the reason why it took 38 minutes for them to respond is there was no UI. 
to respond. So the developers had to get their crap together, uh, amend the website, create a new function, add a link to this interface, reload the web page, and then send it out. And there will be heads that roll for this. It was pandemonium in paradise after that alert was sent to phones throughout the state and broadcast on television. A missile may impact on land or sea within minutes. Shocked tourists and locals worried they were minutes away from nuclear annihilation. The hotel staff came and told my parents, seek shelter, you only have 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's hard to stay calm when you don't know what's happening. Families huddled in their closet during and after the alert went out, staying closely glued to their cell phones. People are hiding the H3 tunnel. People are um, running to the mountains with their families. Today, members of Congress are demanding answers on why it took 38 minutes for a correction to be texted out twice the time it would take for a missile to reach Hawaii from North Korea. It's funny how it's obvious if you understand how development works. 38 minutes is remarkable. Were the developers even in the office? Did they have local development staff on hand? In 38 minutes, they realized we got to send, send out a correction. They got one of their development staff to write a response message, which you know somebody, some executive, some some high-level management had to approve the response, the correction message, and that person did it, <laughs> right? Okay, and then they got that message to the development staff. The development staff coded up the response system, then also updated the internet site to have a new link, and then they got the operation center to click that new link and send it out. Within 38 minutes. And now it's permanently been added to their shitty website, by the way. That's screenshots in there, too. This, this response has been – that link now is false – the false alarm link has been permanently – so they, now they can click it within seconds. So the next time this happens, they're good. <laughs> but, of course, this, the, the dumb – the dish, the brain-dead media and the completely uninformed Congress want to know why it took 38 minutes. That's a, that's a damn development miracle. They did a new feature in 38 minutes in government. I mean, I could I worked at a bank. It took me a week to get a change approved. Are demanding answers on why it took 38 minutes for a correction to be texted out. Now, in the Discord room right now, if you're watching live at uh, discord.me slash Jupiter Colony and you're in the, uh, the dedicated unfiltered channel, which is going all the time, uh, we have an image of what that UI looked like. But like I said, it's essentially Craigslist. It looks like a really crappy Craigslist. And then at the very, very top of the list now, they have BMD fall. Alarm. The actual link that they accidentally clicked it was they clicked it was PACCOM CDW state only. You were supposed you're supposed to click the one above that that says one colon or one period test message. But when there was a shift change, the next guy sat down and he clicked one link down. And all of this was because, let's be honest, bad UI. This is bad UI. This is why user interfaces matter. It really is a it is a real world example of why user interfaces matter so much. And because of bad user interface, this guy clicked the wrong link. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, geez, this has been this system's probably been in place for 30 years uh, and they just they just haven't clicked the wrong link this entire time. Not so much. Yes, essentially. However, this specific type of alarm uh, this is me going off memory. I do have links in the show notes with details if you care. But I think they've only been practicing this for five months, this particular alarm. They like brought it back from the World War II era, uh, if I remember from what I read. And it's bad interface. 
simply just really bad interface. But the, if you think about the turnaround, it's pretty respectable. They had to throw – what looks just like a link on an internet actually probably represents a back-end application that is able to send out push notifications and probably communicate with carriers. It's probably a pretty specific type of system that does this. Uh, which probably has lots of different regulations and rules around it and probably has very specific ways you develop for it. And so the fact that they coordinated with the development team and got that updated and got the link re-added to the user interface in 38 minutes, wow. I mean, two hours would be a, I would be impressed with. Minutes for a correct... Let me back up so we get the guy's whole arrogant quote in here. ...are demanding answers on why it took 38 minutes for a correction to be texted out. Twice the time it would take for a missile to reach Hawaii from North Korea. Those responsible for this happening need to be held accountable, making sure that this cannot, yeah. it cannot happen yeah. again. Get that low-paid worker. Get him. That, that low-paid worker that has to punch that button like a monkey or a character on Lost. Let's fry him. The FCC chairman called the false alert absolutely unacceptable and has launched an investigation. Of course, they'll never spend money on a good user interface. They'll never spend money on proper resources for developers. They'll never spend any kind of time or money on that but they'll absolutely go after a low-paid worker for clicking the wrong link it's what's wrong with the government in one example yesterday governor david Ige took responsibility today is a day that most of us will never forget yeah this is politically probably going to be bad for him and many in our community was deeply affected by this and i'm sorry the mistake was part of an early warning system put into place amid rising tensions between President Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Less than 24 hours before the false alarm, we were given an exclusive tour of the room where it was triggered because of what state officials say was the push of a wrong button. This is where the, uh, the call comes in that notifies us of a, uh, a ballistic missile launch. Yeah, and then when, the, when uh, a, a newspaper went in there or one of, the, one of these news outlets went in there to do an interview... They took a picture of one of the workers, and in the picture is a password on a sticky. Stuck right there to a monitor. It's in the show notes if you want to see it. So this this is this whole thing has just been awful. This has just been so embarrassing. Somebody's going to lose their job. Maybe several somebodies are going to lose their job. Um, bad interface. Bad interface. Bad interface. I and mean, we would just move on. We'd be like, okay, haha. There's a lesson why UI matters. But it doop. Except for there's one weird element to the story that does make you stop for a moment and go, well, now, what are the chances of that? Turns out the same damn thing just happened in Japan yesterday. Some breaking news you might not believe out of Japan. Minutes ago, Japan's national broadcaster, NHK, sent a false text alert reporting North Korea had launched yet another missile. See, <laughs> what? It's Paula Hancock's live force in Seoul. Paula, what do we know? Well, Dave, you really couldn't make this up. This uh, has come just within the last hour, just before 7 o'clock. Uh, the national broadcaster in Japan, NHK, sent out uh, a text alert uh, which said, uh, North Korea likely to have launched missile. The government J-alert evacuate inside the building or underground. Now, this J-alert has been activated uh, in recent months as North Korea has fired uh, ballistic missiles. Wow, how about that? How about that? Back-to-back -back false alarms. Uh, everybody a little bit 
bit on edge, huh? Everybody's a little on edge these days. Maybe y'all need to chill out, relax a little bit. Maybe, uh... Mommy needs a joy. We're going to go right into the high note this week with Mr. Chase here. There is no... With Mr. Chase gone, there is no Chase's sack. So let's go into some good news coming out of Washington. States' rights, everybody. Worried about a new federal crackdown on states with legal marijuana, Washington lawmakers are moving to be sure state money doesn't go to help the feds. Cabo 7's Essex Porter is live in Olympia with the new law designed to protect the marijuana market here. Essex? And all this is because federal law enforcement agents and local law enforcement agents usually work happily hand-in-hand. But when it comes to marijuana, there are lawmakers who want to stop that. This is all about the money. Money, money, money. You see, and this is why I've said that it's going to take off everywhere and it's going to become the definitive states' rights issue. Is it so much revenue? It's more revenue than traffic cameras and all of that combined. It's just pure green money. And they're pumping it into the schools and they're pumping it into their coffers. It's helping their balance sheets. Money, 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 which means they're going to fight the federal government because they got to have that sweet revenue. Legal marijuana sales will generate an estimated $740 million in tax revenue for Washington state over the next two years. But what if federal agents called on local law enforcement to help them crack down on pot, like U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions wants to? Andy Brassington's company produces cannabis products in Seattle. It looks like tax dollars from marijuana would be going to help shut down the marijuana business. That would be a bitter irony. Members of the marijuana industry attended a hearing on proposals to keep state money from being used to help the feds. State money from being used to help the feds. In other words, we don't want to finance something that's going to cut off our funding source at the knees. If they move against Washington's marijuana market. As in addition to the excise tax that you're seeing, we now know that we have over 10,000 jobs in the state of Washington through this industry. Oh, yeah, the jobs thing. Those jobs are also generating revenue for this state. But law enforcement representatives are worried. In law enforcement, especially local law enforcement, uh, we find ourselves uh, in a bit of a pickle between uh, state laws and federal laws. Um, And uh, let me just tell you, that's a very, very challenging place to be. And overall crime is down. And... Revenue from the cannabis tax to the state of Washington general fund is dramatic. Now, this bill seems to have a lot of support, including seven bipartisan co-sponsors. Because it's the money. It's about the money. And that's why the federal government's going to have a fight on their hands when it comes to this issue like no other. So go ahead, Jeff Sessions. Why don't you step in it? I'd love to see where this goes. In fact, I honestly would love to see this states' rights issue get worked out. Let's finally figure this out once and for all. Education is a key component if you're rolling out recreational marijuana. And you can get a little carried away. And it can it can be an excuse for a big, fat, sucking of revenue bureaucratic layer. And I think this is going to be a risk for states that are legalizing it now. They're going to take elements of the Colorado model, as they'll put it, the Colorado model, the business model, something like that. But they're going to take a different take on the educational program. And it'll become a requirement, so you'll have to have funded and arranged and set up this educational program ahead of time before the recreational market can even start. And it's going to require this big, fat, bureaucratic layer that's going to suck money from the tax revenue of the sale of cannabis. 
And it's all really truly centered around two tentpole ideas. Gotta protect the kids. Can't have kids getting high. They're poor developing brains. And oh my God, keep the stoners off the road. Oh my God, keep the stoners from driving. And we got to educate the public for a year before cannabis can ever go on sale about these horrible dangers. Which is funny because it's so current. It's so, it's so, it's so stuck down in the trenches, which government regulations and laws and policies in, a, in an ideal world should really try to encompass the future and not be so sucked down into their present. And to give you an example of what I'm talking about, let's play a thought experiment for this next clip. Imagine this clip in a post-automated driving world. This clip I'm about to play for you. Imagine all of these concerns after we have fully automated driving or even half-assed automated driving. Like everybody's got Tesla-level automated driving and slightly more advanced where you just hit a button and it's going down the road. 20 years from now, all of this business that they're building up, all of this bureaucracy that they're building up will be completely pointless when we have self-driving cars. A preliminary report out today in Montpelier recommends a robust public education campaign about the health risks of marijuana. It was one of several findings from Governor Scott's Special Commission on Marijuana, focusing on preventing youth access to pot and impaired driving. Health Commissioner Mark Levine said the public ad campaign needs to start at least a year in advance of any regulated system, which other states warned Vermont they wish they had done. Oh, we wish we had educated the public about the dangers of driving when they're under a drug or letting their kids get high. Really? The panel also recommends allowing police to screen drivers for impairment with roadside saliva testing. Now, that's a little controversial. Roadside saliva testing could be considered a breach of a person's constitutional rights. This is a big give to get legal pot. As we go down the path of legalization now, that it's critically important to be looking at a good testing mechanism for law enforcement to use for drug-impaired driving. And I think saliva oral fluid testing is the most promising in that regard. Saliva testing will need approval from the legislature and be tested in court. While Vermont is expected to legalize homegrown pot this summer, the commission will now study issues involved in moving to a Colorado-style retail sales and regulated system. Oh, there's the buzzword, the Colorado style. As long as we educate them for a year ahead of time. Now, I'm not opposed to public education. I'm not opposed to using tax dollars for that. But it seems like a bunch of bureaucracy. It seems like a bunch of crap. It seems like a way to slow things down and waste money. The problem with pot is that pot is being sold in quantities that they can never actually quantify, at, at which are much higher than what they think they are right now. The public knows a hundred times more about cannabis than the government does. And I don't mean to sound arrogant about that, but the reality is I, I had this, this life-changing experience when I got into the business world. I, I, went in, I went into the business world at the fresh age of 18, right? Uh, I've told the story before, but um, 
my last day of high school as a senior was a half day. And when we got out, everybody went out, got on the bus or got in their vehicles. I went and got in my car. And I had the best and fastest commute of my life to work. My first day of work. It was kind of ironic. I've never had a better drive. It's never been, I never got to work faster when I worked at that place than I did my first day of work. And I worked a half day. The rest of my last day of school was at work. And from that moment on, I was in IT. So I went in pretty green because I came literally right out of high school. I had worked for two years before that in IT, so I had some background. I had some references. But I went in with some assumptions about people. Lazy people smoke pot. Smart people don't do drugs. Dare, everybody. I was a dare student. And so I went in with all of the education of dare. And over the next 10 years, I learned a lesson over and over and over again. And it broke my assumptions every single time. Some of the most productive people that I knew, business owners, the CEOs, the people that are making tons of money, the people that are working tons of hours, the people that are the visionaries for the companies. Over a 10-year period, I was, and most of them conservatives, smoking pot, all of them, going to church on Sundays, smoking blunts in the evening to go to bed, a glass of wine and a joint. And then they wake up in the morning, 5 a.m., and they go to work. And they work all day long. And I, I had thought that pot smokers sat on their couch and uh, played on the Xbox all day. I had no idea. I had no idea. And as I went into life, maybe this is just unique for Washington. It's, I, I'm sure it's not like this everywhere. But it's probably on the West Coast. Um, one in three people I worked with, one in four. I mean, it shocked me, shocked me constantly. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I had never even seen pot. And yet... One in, one in three people, they're smoking it. It was, it was as if it was as common as wine. And so when the federal government or the local governments, like the state governments, want to educate the public, it ends up sounding like the kind of education that's your brain on drugs. Dramatic, over the top, and nobody takes it seriously. And it ends up just being a huge waste of tax dollars. And so I'm not opposed to education. I'm opposed to real education. In fact, if you go a few episodes back in user air, we did a cannabis corner where we talked about indicas and sativas, and we talked about why beginners shouldn't start with edibles. We did like a whole recap. That's genuinely good educational information. The problem with government education is the people who participate in the education are people who get paid when there's people that have problems, when they find issues. It's their job to have these drugs cause problems because that gives them more funding for more public education. So the incentives are completely slanted in the people that are creating the educational material for the government. They're motivated to find more problems because that justifies their existence and expansion of their department. It's simple economics. If they solved all the problems and people don't have problems with pot, you don't need to pay that person anymore. And so the incentives are all wrong. I, don't, I'm, I guess I don't know if I'm saying that the, the, that the industry should solve the problem, but I just, I just don't think that a state government that has no experience in this should tack on a requirement 
of a year of public education before cannabis can be sold legally. Because they're just going to sell, they're just going to spend a year of undermining their legitimacy. And, and this is going to be more and more common. If this is the path we have to take to get to legalization, so be it. Because it's going to keep happening. The revenues can't be ignored. Even New York has taken notice. If it was legalized in Jersey and it was legal in Massachusetts and the federal government allowed it to go ahead, what would that do to New York, which is right in the middle? Governor Cuomo diving into the debate. Should pot be legal in New York State? Good evening, everyone. The governor now calling for a closer look at how that move would impact the state. It comes less than 24 hours after his Republican rival, Joel Giambra, made his pro-pot pitch. And as 7 Eyewitness News reporter Jeff Rusak explains... Well- yeah, both the conservative and now the, the Democrat candidates are both pro-pot. Well, many are excited to see the wheels turning on legal pot... Others aren't so positive. New York State is looking into the feasibility of legalizing recreational marijuana. That's what Governor Andrew Cuomo announced during his budget address Tuesday. This is an important topic. It's a hotly debated topic, pardon the pun, and uh, it'd be nice to have some facts in the middle of the debate. While the money he's putting aside is specifically for fact-finding in New York, there are plenty of studies already done about Colorado and legal pot. The state legalized the sale of recreational marijuana in 2014. Our sister station in Denver covered the legalization extensively. The positives they've reported on include increased tax dollars, lower opioid-related deaths, and lower teen marijuana usage. Some negative reports include stores overselling to customers and a jump in arrest of people trying to transport marijuana out of state. Now, not everyone is on board with legalization in western New York. It's a money grab to me. The director of Kids Escaping Drugs thinks legalization is a bad idea. I can tell you that every kid on our campus has smoked marijuana, continues to smoke marijuana prior to coming here, and will identify that as one of the gateway drugs that led them on to whatever else they used. Even with a report of lower teen usage of pot, Colorado still has one of the highest rates of teen marijuana usage in the country. This could be the first big step towards legal recreational marijuana in New York. And while opinions defer, Governor Cuomo hopes his study will provide more answers. Jeffrey Sack, 7 Eyewitness News. So they're going to begin studying, which is actually the right thing to do. They're going to start the process, begin the wheels rolling, so that way when the areas around them legalize, they can move pretty quick and also start cashing in on that sweet, sweet marijuana money. This is a place called Cookies, and they've been pretty busy all day long. Right now, they don't have a line, but that's not been the norm throughout the day. This is a very large facility, and that's because it's more than just a dispensary. So Los Angeles has a brand new place that just opened up. It's a huge Walmart of pot shops called Cookies. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Cookies. This is what's going on in California. Smell, flavor, effects, and now easier access have people lined up at Cookies, Maywood's first location selling adult use marijuana. It surpassed all the other places around here to do it because of the the variety and the quality of what he got. Cookies is a cannabis micro business from seed to sale. Micro business from seed to sale. It all happens inside this 24,000 square foot business. This is going to be huge. You get a huge piece of property, you grow in it, you sell in it, the entire operation, one building. Daniel Dvorsky is the co-owner. We grow, we process all by hand, 
we uh, package, we trim. The thing is, is that is going to be huge on savings. If you can afford that, that and, and there's going to be companies, Philip Morris, that can afford to do that, that is going to drive the prices way down. Huge part of the price right now is the shop's got to buy it from growers and the growers got to buy the seeds and there's got to be separate farms. I mean, that's it just adds all these layers of middlemaning cost. And these guys are doing it themselves. That means quality control. That means they're going to bring the prices down. This is fascinating. Cookies is really onto something. The name sounds cute, but this is... This is a moneymaker. If you if you somehow can afford this whole operation, like, I don't know, maybe you got Amazon money or something. Maybe you got Google stock money. Maybe you got, I don't know what you're doing, but if you can afford it somehow, how is this not a huge winner? Process all by hand. We uh, package, we trim, uh, we make our extracts, and we handle our retail right here on site. Cookies will pay the city 6% in sales tax, expected to generate millions for Maywood. People over 21 buying legal marijuana are now paying those taxes, making their weed pricier than it is on the black market. We're going to kind of pay the price now back to where I was in high school. You know, the price is going to go back up, but it's, it doesn't matter. We're still going to smoke it. Brandon Parker, whose family has farmed cannabis for three generations, said Says if you want a better quality organic product, it will cost you more. <laughs> money, money, money! Show me the money! <laughs> well, the show's not quite over, although this is sort of the first ending. If you're done with your meat and veggies, or maybe just your, I don't, I, you know what? If you're done with the main course, I'm not going to trigger you. If you're done with your main course, you can leave now. However, way more information, additional information on some of the stories we've covered is coming up in the overtime if you want to stick around. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. In the meantime, I'll leave you with a few bits of sparkly wisdom. Patreon.com slash unfilter is where you go to keep this show going and support us, see if we can get to 300 episodes. Twitter.com slash Chris Lass. That's my Twitter handle. And the whole network is at Jupiter Signal. I also try to post a live stream whenever YouTube cooperates, although we are very flag-worthy at that Patreon page, patreon.com slash unfilter, and it's for everybody. Everybody. You don't gotta be a patron. Everybody gets it. Full, unfiltered, unfiltered. It, it seems it seems only right, if, if you think about it. What else? I have no other choice. I have to. Patreon.com slash unfilter. You can watch the whole damn thing for free, including exclusive live stream clips that I saved just for our awesome live stream who's hanging out with us at discord.me slash Colony in the unfiltered chat room and irc.geekshed.net over there. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate you. Give us your feedback. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. I got to get out of here, but the Unfiltered Show should be back next week. Mr. At Nunes, Chase, should be back then too. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Unfiltered Program. If you're not sticking around for the overtime, then I'll see you right back here next week. be caught by that end of show distraction the real show starts now it's time for the unfilter
you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you, you guys. This goes out to you. And I know that each of you understand you have the power. Stay woke. Mommy needs a joint. Oh, thank you to our patrons. Patreon.com slash unfilter. This is an audience-funded show. There's no sponsors, so that way we can talk about whatever we think is going to make our patrons happy and not going to get the most clicks. Doesn't always work out for us this week, though. <laughs> this week, not so much. We got no, no new patrons. It hurts. It stings. Kills motivation a little bit. But I don't know, you know? I kind of agree. Last week's show was awful. I just didn't like it. It was all on me. Nobody else's fault. Producer Matt did a great job. Chase did a great job. It was my fault. It was too much show. It was, we were gone for three weeks. Fire and Fury had just gotten dropped on us a week early. There was too much in there. So I understand why I'm out here in a field by myself with no new patrons. I hope you forgive me for this week. And I hope, I hope you will find it in your hearts to contribute to our show at patreon.com slash unfilter. We'll try harder for you guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's make me feel better by picking on Nancy Pelosi. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm not picking on Nancy Pelosi exactly, except for the fact that she's a millionaire. She's um, been around for quite a long time, and she seems to represent the very rot of the Democratic Party. But other than that, I mean. Built that inspired uh, on that weekend, inspired uh, by Dr. Martin Luther King when he said. I'm sorry. But I'm, I'm sorry. Um, um, I got. Uh, uh, I, what? Uh, you're making me tongue-tied just hearing that. Martin Luther King, when he said, inspired by Dr. King's call for fairness, opportunity, and equal opportunity and equal access to equality. She's really, um, you know, she's um, she's really kind of selling her her position here as a fundraiser and a speaker and a representative, isn't she? I mean, she just she just sells the Democratic Party. She just sells it for you. It's really sad. Eighty-six. Eighty-three percent of the benefits go to the top one percent. Now, let's talk about working poor people. It's really sad. Lower the cost of living for American workers. We can start by lowering the cost of prescription drugs. What has happened this week that is, I don't want to say different. Yeah, different. (laughs) Oh, Nancy. Oh, you try so hard. You were really trying hard there, Nancy. You really were trying hard, although not quite as hard as Cory Booker. Senator Booker. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Um, First of all, I just want to say about uh, the DACA uh, issue going on right now, that to me this is a a very profound moral issue in our country. Um, It's a moral issue because, as you know, many of these children do not have uh, even memories of their home country. So Corey uh, here, Mr. Booker, Senator Booker, uh, goes kind of off the hook at one of Trump's admins here. After Charleston, Virginia, last summer, people marching with tiki torches and hate when he said there are very fine people on both sides. Very fine people on both sides. Wait, I thought we were talking about DACA. Wait a minute. When the commander-in-chief speaks or refuses to speak, those words just don't dissipate like mist in the air. They fester. They become poison. They give license to bigotry and hate in our country. Oh, he's grandstanding and performing. Not necessarily saying he's wrong, but he knows the cameras are on him. And then he just doubles down on her. White supremacist. 
An American killed and another wounded in Kansas after a white supremacist targeted them for their ethnicity, saying, get out of my country. Six, six Americans killed and four others wounded. And yeah, he's reading a script. He's reading a script. And he keeps going at her. He starts getting the crazy looks. He starts pointing at her. Concerned about the people in fear in communities in this country. Sikh Americans, Muslim Americans, black Americans. The fact pattern is clear of the threats in this country. See, but this isn't contributing anything to this hearing. It's him getting his time in front of the camera. And it's that same kind of political theater crap that I think doesn't really play anymore. It's this sort of trying to manipulate to our emotions, trying to play to our worst intentions, trying to take people who have influence over us, either through their popular status and their brand, and trying to get them to communicate a message that will be received that we won't take from the news media, that we won't take from Wolf Blitzer. Now, how do we know this is true? Well, if Moby's to be, if Moby, the, the, the artist, <laughs> yeah, that Moby, <laughs> yeah, yes, that Moby, if he's to be believed, he was approached by the CIA and asked to promote things out of the Trump dossier to his audience. The American musician and DJ Moby claims he's been doing some behind the scenes stirring against Donald Trump. He- and now pause for a moment. And uh, as a mental exercise, assume that this is correct. Uh, we, have, uh, we have the entire unedited interview with Moby in the supporter sync. If they're going to Moby, if they're going to Moby with this kind of stuff, Moby, who else are they talking to? Every celebrity. He said in a recent interview that friends and contacts within the CIA did ask him to promote certain ideas online, including the alleged collusion between the US president and Russia. Jacqueline Vuga has the story. It's no surprise that someone like Moby has friends in rather high places, but what he claims they've asked him to do is unexpected and more than a little worrying. According to the music icon, his inner circle includes current and former CIA agents who apparently asked him to use his popularity to spread anti-Trump theories. I've managed to make a few friends in the intelligence community. So they passed on some information to me and they said, like, look, you have a big you have more of a social media following than any of us do. Can you please post some of these things just in a way to sort of put it out there? What's even more fascinating is in the full in the full interview, uh, he says that it was current CIA members and former CIA members. And this is that little teeny tiny factoid is a huge aspect of how this works. Former CIA members, uh, Leon Panetta, uh, your good your good buddy, uh, Michael, per- Michael uh, Morell. Um, uh, the, the, uh, what's his name? The, the not Clapper. Um, Michael Hayden, that's who I'm thinking of, Michael Hayden. They are able to, quote-unquote, say things that they wouldn't normally be able to, quote-unquote, say if they were active CIA agents, but they can get information passed along to them. And so then they are able to say things that an acting CIA agent can't actually just come out and say. So we, like I said, I have the full interview. Great to talk to you. It's been so long since we've heard anything from you. In the show notes. And if you jump around in there, you'll, you'll get more details about it. He pretty much goes right into it. Straightforward and emotional. When I'm working on music, I sort of employ the same criteria as when I'm listening to music. So if you like Moby, check out the rest of the interview in the Supporter Sync, uh, which you'll get as uh, one of our Patreon tiers at patreon.com slash unfilter. I want to talk just briefly about the Dakota Pipeline. 
that the protesters, but um, not about the protesters or the pipeline itself, but how Facebook has been revealed to share info on those protesters with prosecutors. Facebook is being accused of revealing detailed information on a group of Dakota Access Pipeline activists. No. No. Facebook is cooperating and revealing information on people that they've collected? <gasps> group of Dakota Access Pipeline activists to prosecutors. That's according to documents obtained by the online news site The Intercept. Well, after an executive order from President Trump, the pipeline is set to be expanded across Native American land and pass underneath the Missouri River. The activists organised a protest against it using their Facebook page and around 100 indigenous people blocked traffic on a freeway. For there you go, slaves. Do not protest organized over Facebook. Don't use Twitter. Don't use Google+. Indigenous people blocked traffic on a freeway for about an hour, but later peacefully dispersed and no arrests were made. Local prosecutor, the local prosecutor, had twice sought information on this group from the social media site. According to documents, Facebook apparently helped them get a warrant approved through the Department of Justice. Activist Tina McKim thinks it was part, though, of a deliberate effort to scare supporters away. I'm not going to dignify that with not an answer. Not only does this warrant attempt to scare people from organising, this warrant attempts to scare people from even looking at information. Well, journalist Myron Dewey, who does report on uh, issues of uh, Native American Americans, thinks that <laughs> Facebook violated the protesters' constitutional rights. Yeah, yeah. Undue surveillance. Uh, Fourth Amendment, buddy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or it's not called undue surveillance, but it's a Fourth Amendment. So that's creepy. I know. Shocker, right? Oh, what a surprise. Facebook is creepy. But uh, I do think it's worth sort of adding to our internal data set about how these companies can use our data. Uh, I I have been I have been feeling a strong duality about all of this. There's been a couple of other stories this week, not really unfilter related, about information sharing with these companies. And the only thing, and of course, in light of the FISA reauthorization that's coming down any day now, there is a part of me who wants to go live in a vehicle out in the desert and just. Go off grid because I feel like the longer I stay on the grid, I'm in my mid 30s now, the longer I stay on the grid, the more information they have about me. And the sooner I get off the grid, the less data they'll have on me. So if I can get out in my mid 30s, then I could live the rest of my life without them potentially collecting at least as minimal data as possible. It's probably impossible. But of course, I can't do that. I have a business. I have these podcasts. I have kids. I have a great relationship. I have an RV. I got a dog. But in the back of my mind, there is a part of me that knows the only way to get out is to get out as soon as possible. And by remaining in my day-to-day -day life, I am choosing to remain on the grid, to be tracked, to, to have the government and these companies, specifically Google, Facebook and others, although I'm not, I don't have a, I have a Facebook account, I don't use it. I know that the longer I use any of these things, the more I'll be tracked, the more data they'll have on me. The, and as computers improve, as computers get better, they'll be able to go back and revisit that data and generate new interesting findings. The data lasts forever, and computers are always getting better. Think about it back in the 90s. They couldn't have even afford it to track us like this. It would have been too much overhead. 
But now it's just integrated into everything. Everything, your apps you use, the games you play, they're all constantly collecting analytics about you. Most of the time it's used for innocent debugging purposes. But now with FISA changes coming down the pipe, with the possibility they could be monitoring you just for average crimes that you commit, and if they accidentally collect that, they can still follow up on that. The fact that Facebook will just hand over information about Dakota Pipeline protesters. 1984 didn't even begin to describe the situation we're going into. This is why when the Snowden leaks first came out, I had such a huge, profound problem with it. And I said at the time, even if you like Barack Obama and you are comfortable with his administration and his spying apparatus having access to these tools, which I think we've seen them abuse now in their last year, but even if you're comfortable with that, what about the next guy? What if it's not Hillary? What if somebody comes in there and they ratchet it up even further? And that's exactly what's happening. And the person after Trump, it doesn't matter if they're a Democrat. It doesn't matter if they're a Republican. They're going to turn the dial. Clinton started the fire and then Bush turned up the heat. Obama turned up the heat. And now Trump is turning up the heat. And at the same time, these private companies are going whole hog collecting data on us. There's no constitutional loopholes they have to bend themselves around. It's just collect as much as they can, which, of course, is available one national security letter or subpoena away. And so there's a part of me in the back of my mind that really says you should get out of this because you know where this is going. And you know you're going to be mad at yourself when it gets there and you didn't get out. But then there's this bigger part of me that has all of these responsibilities. And this stuff really really bugs me. Like the Google stuff and the Facebook stuff and the FISA stuff. Like out of a lot of the stuff we cover, this is the stuff that bothers me the most. And I'm not doing anything I don't want them to really even, even know about. Anything I might get in trouble for is legal in my state. Oh! I still don't like them being able to build a profile, being able to have an entire history of me, though. That creeps me out. (sighs) Facebook and Google are just the tip of the iceberg, too. But that's a whole nother show. Let's move on and talk about that Donald Trump who is turning up the heat. He's been... um, talked about a lot this week in <laughs> for some of the comments he's made. He's been talking a lot about this week for going golfing during Martin Luther King Day. But the one that's been the most awkward to watch, because the media really has to twist themselves into justifications to talk about this, has been Trump's health. Now to news tonight coming in about the president's health. His doctor before the cameras late today, the president's health, his weight, his diet, and the cognitive test President Trump asked for himself. Here's ABC senior White House correspondent Cecilia oh? Vega tonight. With questions swirling about his fitness for office, today President Trump sent the White House physician out to face reporters, telling him to answer everything and hide nothing. Absolutely, he's fit for duty. I think he will remain fit for duty for the remainder of this term and even for the remainder of another term uh, if he's elected. Dr. Ronnie Jackson said President Trump himself requested a cognitive assessment to detect neurological impairment, something not usually part of a president's annual physical. There have been. Why not? Why is that? That seems like the most obvious intentional, like, we're going to make sure that you can walk on a treadmill. 
uh, we will uh, we'll take a little bit off the scale too, or we'll just add a little bit to your height to make sure you fit in the right BMI. And we're not going to check the way your brain works, Mister Decider, the executive officer who makes decisions about who lives and dies. We're not going to go ahead and check the, the way your brain works, unless you specifically ask for it. Which which president? Why would you unless you had something to prove? president's annual physical. There have been reports that the president has forgotten names, that he's repeating himself. Are you ruling out uh, things like early onset Alzheimer's? Are you looking at dementia-like symptoms? You can tell Trump doesn't have dementia or Alzheimer's just by when he is free-flowing, freestyle talking. He's quick. He's able to immediately recognize when he steps in it and sort of immediately try to back out of it. So he still steps in it. But that is a functional brain that is keeping track of multiple things at once. So I believe – this is my personal opinion here. This is Chris projecting a bit. But I believe what, what people mistake is Trump forgetting names and repeating himself. What they mistake as dementia or Alzheimer's is really just him not giving two fucks about you and not paying attention. Unless your name is huge and big and you're great and you're one of the really important people, he'll remember you. But if you're just some senator, you know, you're some dingling in the lower end of the government – it's just not how he's wired. He's been like this. I mean, this man has been a media figure. He's been a celebrity since the 80s. He's been a celebrity, a star since the 80s. This is this exact description is how a lot of people describe famous people is there that gets to them after a while. I mean, the man has lived in Trump Tower, which is a palace which serves him, which he does the same thing every single day. Every single day, he has the same morning routine when he lived in Trump Tower before he moved to the White House. Since the 80s. He is a man who gets set in his way. He lives in the Trump reality. And he doesn't care about the little people. Well, uh, it's not that he doesn't care. It's that he's got other things to worry about than their names. And it... It's it's it hurts, I guess, maybe. So people like to make more out of it or they like to spin it as Alzheimer's. But you can watch the man speak and see he doesn't have Alzheimer's as somebody who has family members who did. You can watch the man speak. He doesn't have Alzheimer's. He doesn't have dementia. He has a huge ego symptoms. Yeah, it screens for all those things. It screens for any type of cognitive issues, uh, you know, Alzheimer's and all those other things. And uh, so, you know, the, the fact that the president got, you know, 30 out of 30 on that exam, I think that, you know, there's no indication whatsoever that he has any cognitive issues. And, you know, on a day to day basis, like I said before, it's been in my experience that the president, you know, he's very sharp. At 71, President Trump's biggest health risk, his weight. Dr. Jackson says he needs to lose 10 to 15 pounds our John Carl asking. Can you explain to me how a guy who eats McDonald's and <laughs> fried chicks and all those Diet Cokes and who never exercises is in as good a shape as you say he's in? Well, I'm glad you're on an ivory tower. Jeez. You know what? Screw you. Sometimes we can only afford McDonald's. I'm sorry it offends you. Meanwhile, the reporter behind him, the massively overweight reporter behind him looks like he's asleep. It's kind of ironic. This this is going to be a meme. This Trump is overweight. Trump eats McDonald's. This is going to be like what they did with Bill Clinton. You remember that? How SNL always painted Bill Clinton eating burgers and being too fat and trying to exercise and sweating real bad. And now look at the guy. He's thin as a rail. This is going to be something they go after with Trump because they know psychologically it's going to screw with him. Trump's appearance, his weight, all of that. He's he's sensitive about it. And the book insinuates, fear, Fire and Fury, if you believe it or not, insinuates that he works with his doctors to lie about his height a little bit so that way he fits in the right BMI range. 
And uh, that's not just the Gerther thing. That's just something that uh, the book has said he's been doing for a long time. I, I, <laughs> oh, you haven't heard about the Gerther thing? Yeah, the Gerther thing. It's okay. We can we can make fun of Trump's weight because he once did the Gerther thing with Obama. So it's totally cool to call him a Gerther now. The alleged excellent medical exam results <laughs> of the fellow in the White House was spawned has spawned a new conspiracy theory. It's known as the Gerther movement. <laughs> and of course, it's so valid that ABC ABC's view has to put this in their hot topics section. What if somebody did this to Hillary Clinton? Would they do this? What if what if what if there was a what if somebody came up with a nickname for the fact that Obama's uh, half black, half white? Would they would they cover that? No, no, they wouldn't. No, but if we can make fun of Trump's appearance and how fat he is. That's okay. Has spawned a new conspiracy theory. Oh, and I love that it's a conspiracy theory, too. Yeah, it's a conspiracy. And of course, they cover all conspiracy theories. They're always covering conspiracy theories. It's known as the Gerther movement. (laughs) And there's some compelling evidence to ponder. The White House physician claims you know who is six foot three and 239 pounds. So one Gerther compared him to a photo of Minnesota Vikings, <laughs> Latavius Murray, who is the same height and just four pounds less. So, of course, it's comparing Donald Trump to an extremely well-fit athlete. So let's say it's it's a little different. Yeah, potato, potato. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> there we are. Well, the implication really is, is that uh, just Trump doesn't have a lot of muscle, I guess, because muscle weighs more than fat. And the doctor uh, also claimed he did exceedingly well on his cognitive test, too. Well, that that you could barely read that sentence, Whoopi Goldberg, after an entire long career reading lines. So how's your cognitive ability? How's your BMI? How about I make up a hashtag about that? Would you cover that, Whoopi? I don't think you would. That shit really bothers me. It's one thing if you're collapsing at 9-11 memorials, and it's another... Th- you Maybe... Hey, I got a crazy... You love to talk about how much he golfs. Maybe, maybe his weight is at where it's at even though he eats McDonald's because he golfs so much because he's out there walking. That burns calories. Put two and two together, you smart-ass media. Jeez. In Washington, especially those in charge of budgets, love saying about the Pentagon, in any era of our history, they're fighting the last war. They're always fighting the last war. This is what Brian does. Brian loves to give a lot of weight. Actually, all of NBC loves to give you some weight to the some context to what they're about to tell you, some, some context to it. Mm. And so what they've been all over this week, and I'm sorry, it does get me upset. I do have to admit that. Disclaimer, this does really get to me. This hashtag triggers me. I watch a lot of I watch a lot of news for you guys, and I have to watch these sanctimonious sons of bitches do this. And you and I, we're gonna work through this together. That's how I'm the only one guys, guys, this is the only way I'm getting through this, is if we work through this together. So this is Bri Wai uh, up there building a sanctimonious context. For why it is ridiculous that Donald Trump still goes after Hillary in his tweets and in his press conferences. And this has been an ongoing topic. Whenever they don't have something in the schedule, when there's no shithole thing to talk about, or Russia, or how fat he is, 
this is what they slip in there. Gone. In any era of our history, they're fighting the last war. They're always fighting the last war. Well, politically, you certainly could say that about Donald Trump. I'm going to roll an example of that today when his campaign opponent might have come up in conversation. When you talk about interviews, uh, Hillary Clinton had an interview where she wasn't sworn in. She wasn't given the oath. They didn't take notes. They didn't record. And it was done on the 4th of July weekend. Uh, That's perhaps ridiculous. And a lot of people looked upon that as being uh, a very serious breach. And it really was. We don't care about her. Nobody here talks about her. Hey, Chris, nobody here talks about Hillary Clinton. So, Kimberly, which is it? Uh, Hillary Clinton is top of mind every waking hour of every day for our president or nothing to see here. We never hear her name in the West Wing, said Kellyanne Conway on CNN. <laughs> Random person that I brought in. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Look, I think the president's Look. own words uh, show that he's not going to let the results of the 2016 election stop him from campaigning against Hillary Clinton. How about... How about if Hillary Clinton shuts the hell up about Donald Trump, maybe he'd stop talking about her. She's go look at her Twitter feed. What's Hillary Clinton talking about? The majority of it is what Donald Trump's doing. She doesn't shut up about Donald Trump, but not just Twitter. All of her people, all of her old campaign staff, all the people that look like weasels with a human mask on are still out there shitting over everything. All of the people in the CIA and in the lower levels of government and in the media that work with the Clintons still are still doing what they were doing during the 2016 campaign. The reason why Donald Trump feels like he's still fighting the 2016 campaign is because all of those MFers are still going after him. And it's, it's also, you got to figure, it's got to be a thorn in his side that this lady does all of this stuff that he just likes to, uh, uh, you know, go through from time to time. And really, you know what's crazy? You know what's you know what's crazy is Trump's like touching on like I don't know one percent. I mean, what do you what do you think, Discord Room? I mean, it can't even be more than one percent of some of the corrupt things Hillary's done, and he's touching on like one percent of them, and everybody's freaking the shit out. If you if you were getting grilled over this Russia stuff, and remember, for this to work, you gotta you gotta buy the thought experiment here for a moment that Donald Trump. Regardless if he is innocent or not with Russia collusion, Donald J. Trump, the man, believes it, that he is innocent, has convinced himself either way, 100% believes he is innocent in the Russia investigation and that this entire thing is a democratic ploy to take down his presidency and damage the right. So assume for a moment that that is true because that's, that's very likely what Donald Trump believes. Regardless if it's true or not, the man believes it. So now he is 428 days after the election, 429 days after the election. And they're still going at his balls over Russia. Meanwhile, she does, I mean, he just outlined all the, I mean, with that, okay, let's actually, let's replay this as a, as a thought experiment with what I just outlined, re-listen to what Donald Trump says. And tell me this isn't where it's coming from here. When you talk about interviews, uh, Hillary Clinton had an interview where she wasn't sworn in. She wasn't given the oath. They didn't take notes. They didn't record. And it was done on the 4th of July weekend. Uh, that's perhaps ridiculous. And a lot of people looked upon that as being uh, a very serious breach. 
So I think there is in that context some some understand there there's some rationale to why he's talking about that. I think it also has a secondary effect. It's a there's a benefit that I I believe Donald Trump is 100% smart, savvy and media aware enough to know of. He's running out the clock. These reporters only have so much time. There's only so much airtime that they're going to even put on the air, right? So if he can spend the majority of that time slamming Hillary, well, then he doesn't have to talk about shithole comments. He doesn't have to talk about the Russia investigation because he can make it about Hillary. He doesn't have to talk about Steve Bannon because he's talking about Hillary and he's running out the clock. So he's he not only is he venting and getting out frustration, but he's running out the clock. And I think he's definitely... TV aware enough to know that's what he's doing. And it's a pretty damn good strategy because the media wouldn't even say any of these things if he didn't say them. So he's forcing them to cover it in a way. Uh, And the media really is just always putting things in the worst light. They're searching out for any controversy, anything that could be a trending topic on social media. Hashtag Trump did this. That's what they're going for now. It's all about the ratings. And it makes guys like Jim Acosta the biggest douchebag on media because he's the one that's aggressively trying to go after Trump to prompt Trump to say something that will cause the next three days worth of discussion on CNN. That's Jim Acosta's job. Jim Acosta is at the White House. He's the CNN reporter, the CNN reporter at the White House. He's the guy that's got to get Trump to say something stupid. So that way Don Lemon and Anderson Cooper and Wolf Blitzer and everybody else has something to talk about for the next five days and they can bring panels in. And if you don't get Trump to say something, then you just got to follow the news. And shit, that takes a lot of work and reporters on the ground. Here's Jim Acosta. Everybody for being here. Thank Ms. Pre- Ms. President, Ms. President, did you say that you Thank want you more people to come in from Norway? Did you say that you wanted more people Thank to come in from much. Norway? So this this happens, this moment, and I'm, I'm saving you from the entire clip, but this is the president of the Czech Republic sitting right next to Donald Trump. It's the first time that he has been welcomed into the White House. And uh, Donald Trump talks about how Boeing and other companies are spending lots of money doing lots of trade with them. He thanks Donald Trump. He says, you've had a really productive year. It is an 11-minute press conference. This is the last 24 seconds of that press conference. They have already, before Jim Acosta speaks up, They have already asked the reporters to leave. In White House parlance, when you say, thank you, everybody, thank you, that means leave the leave the Oval Office now. That means press leaves the Oval Office. You've seen this in clips before. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. That means get the shit out of here. Just get out of here. Everybody for being here. Miss President, Miss President, did you say that you want? Then she specifically says, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. More people to come in from Norway. Did you say that you wanted more people Thank to come in from much. Norway? Is that true, Mr. President? Thank you very much. I want them to come in from everywhere. Everywhere. Thank you very much, everybody. Just, just Caucasian or white countries, sir, or do you want people to come in from other parts of the world? What a dick. So they're already getting ushered out. But, of course, now everybody's staying because they want to get this audio. So they're leaving the mics in there. Uh, and it all goes really fast. But it, this is decorum in the White House. This is breaking decorum, but the decorum in the White House is thank you, everybody. Thank you. And then they leave. So that way they can go about doing all the stuff they don't want to do in front of reporters. So Jim knows that he's he's motor mouthing, blasting. He's shotgunning all this stuff at Trump as fast as possible because he knows he's supposed to be leaving. Everybody for being here. Ms. President, Ms. President, did you say that you want more people to come in from Norway? Did you say that you wanted more people to come in from Norway? 
Is that true, Mr. President? Thank you very much. I want him to come in from everywhere. So he gets something. So then Jim keeps going because now he's engaged Trump. Now, here's the hilarious thing. This is getting spun. Not, Not a lot, but you'll hear Jim Acosta if you watch a lot of CNN bitch about it. This is getting spun as Donald Trump exploding at Jim Acosta and kicking him out of the White House. Watch how Donald Trump explodes and kicks Jim out. And this wouldn't take off if, you, if anybody actually played the video. But because they're not playing the video, they're saying that Donald Trump explodes at Jim Acosta and kicks him out of the Oval Office after the latest outburst. That's actually the headline. Everywhere. Thank you very much, everybody. Just just Caucasian or white countries, sir, or do you want people to come in from other parts of the world where there are people of color? Jim, thank you. And that's it. That was the outburst. Trump points at Jim Acosta and says, out. And then the the, uh, manager person says, Jim, thank you. Jim, Jim, thank you. This is getting spun. This is President Trump orders CNN's Jim Acosta to get out, all caps, of the Oval Office after his latest outburst. And from other parts of the world where there are people of color. Jim, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Awkward. And Jim Acosta was, you could, how is that guy even, how does CNN expect the Trump administration to ever take them seriously when that shit's going on? And the problem is, is it's leading us down a path that uh, is going to be bad for the nation. I know that sounds like, oh, geez, listen to Chris exaggerate. No, I I think this is going to be really, really bad. I think this is going to cause Trump to look at the liable laws, and this could be one of the worst aspects of the Trump legacy. On a separate front, we are going to take a strong look at our country's liable laws so that when somebody says something that is false and defamatory about someone, that person will have meaningful recourse in our courts. If somebody says something that's totally false and knowingly false, that the person that has been abused, defamed, libeled, will have meaningful recourse. Oh, boy. The intention is understandable. But when the federal government implements something like this, this is the end of free speech. And you know the press isn't going to give up. In fact, they're going to go after his weight now, too. And it's just going to trigger him more. It's going to piss him off even more. This is, uh, I I am really worried about where that's going. That can't be good. And neither is this. A new report from the minority staff of the Senate's Committee on Foreign Relations details Russian President Vladimir Putin's quote, assault on democracy in Russia and Europe. Yikes. The document was commissioned by Democratic Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland. RT correspondent Anya Parnfield brings us the details tonight. Senator Cardin's report relies on some U.S. government-funded sources, including media outlets such as Voice of America and Radio Free Europe. Which is essentially RT, only our version of it. Yeah. Yeah, RT so, so bad. So bad, yet we have two of our own. As well as a correspondent for NATO's Strategic Communications Center of Excellence. Oh! Perhaps it's no surprise then much of the report is preoccupied with Putin's anti-NATO agenda and documents how Russia responds to U.S. government-funded media like VOA through its own state-funded media, like this very network. (laughs) So, state-funded media, this is a study 
Yeah, you heard it right. It's a study that analyzes state-funded media responding to state-funded media and then the implications of that. RT and Sputnik News earned an entire section in the report titled The Kremlin's Disinformation Platforms. Oh, a platform. It relies on a report by defense think tank Rand Corporation. Oh, now hold on. Now we're going off the rails here. The Rand Corporation? Go Google that one. Which describes RT as infotainment and disinformation. Oh, okay, infotainment. Um, that would be actually a charitable description. I think you could put that towards all of the news networks, actually. In fact, I would argue everything they're about to say you could pretty much apply to all of the news networks. It accuses RT and Sputnik of targeting, quote, both far-right and far-left elements of Western society. So Fox News, MSNBC, and CNN, um, sounds about right. These environmentalists. It talks about, okay, environmentalists, uh, so democracy now. Civil rights activists. Again, democracy now, and many of the other news networks will cover civil rights, many civil rights things. And minorities. Oh, geez, yeah, all of them, well, maybe not as much as Fox News, talk about minority issues constantly. For viewership. It advises the U.S. government to pump, quote, more American popular culture into Europe, citing the popularity of VOA and Radio Free Europe as a positive antidote to Russian, quote, active measures. There is naturally no irony in the fact those outlets are merely the American equivalent of RT and Sputnik. As journalist Max Blumenthal noted on Twitter, quote, the report recommends a major defense buildup. Hold on, before we go there. It actually impressed me just for a moment. Uh, I'm going to go back up. Europe, citing the popularity of VOA and Radio Free Europe as a positive antidote to Russian, quote, active measures. Now, I, I, I could never in a bajillion years see Western media being this honest about who and what they are. This next line is just brutally honest about what RT is. There is naturally no irony in the fact those outlets are merely the American equivalent of RT and Sputnik. She's right there just telling you. I mean, there's that is the one thing I'm not defending RT. I think their production quality sucks balls. I think their guests are horrible. I think their coverage is obviously slanted. But holy crap, you would never hear CNN just admit that they're just there to sell ads. You will never hear them say that. But she just right there just just says it. She just says it. This is what we are. We own it and we admit it. There's respectability in that transparency. Antidote to Russian, quote, active measures. There is naturally no irony in the fact those outlets are merely the American equivalent of RT and Sputnik. All right. Now, this has all been kind of fun and game so far. But then this report gets freaking dark and it's it essentially recommends another 30 years of a Cold War. And it's just how they how this just thing goes from here's an analysis of state run media to we got to double down on the Cold War. It's it's frightening and shocking. It's disturbing. As journalist Max Blumenthal noted on Twitter, quote, the report recommends a major defense buildup, expansion of NATO, preemptive sanctions on new countries and reinforcement of the war on terror apparatus to wage a new Cold War. Thanks to Russiagate, liberals will blindly support this neocon wish list. Indeed, the report says the U.S. should coordinate sanctions with the EU. One world government. Which makes it worth mentioning the last round of sanctions the U.S. imposed on Russia were, in fact, opposed by the European Union. I, um, I find this uh, deeply, deeply, deeply disturbing. Don't you? I mean, to me, this seems super disturbing. They also have a little bit of uh, FISA coverage here. 
Let's see how uh, let's see how this coverage goes. Six to one sixty four. Oh, I'll back up a little bit so you can actually hear the vote too. No meddling by Russia. <laughs> the House has voted overwhelmingly, two fifty six to one sixty four, passing the controversial legislation to renew government surveillance powers, better known as FISA. The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act will now move forward to the Senate for a vote. Manila Chan has been following the story and joins us with more. Eh, we're good. We're good. We're pretty current on all that. So moving forward from there, uh, we just have a few more things in the overtime, and then we're pretty much wrapped up. More uh, kind of going after Assad. So I would expect uh, to keep an eye out. I would, I'm going to keep an eye out. I would expect to see some stories about Syria soon. All right, leaders of the Free Syrian Army meeting with the White House today, hoping for more support against deadly attacks from the Assad regime. This as brand new video. Now, that said, now all that said, the Free Syrian Army is sort of like going to um, uh, Mike Pence and saying, is Donald Trump a good president? Right. It's they are the least unbiased source for information because these are the sons of bitches that we were backing. We were paying. These are the sons of bitches that we helped sneak out of Syria. These are the guys that we had to go into Turkey to get fixed up. The guys that Saudi Arabia equipped, the people that we dropped the weapons to. That's who this is a collection of psychopaths that were on our payroll. OK, so they're not exactly a legitimate source, but they they claim that uh, which it's never that has never ever been an issue for the federal government. They don't care that they're an unbiased source. In fact, they prefer that. Obviously, they are saying that Assad is continuing to aghast his people. Now that uh, the war is kind of coming over and things are going peaceful, Assad's going to d- screw it all up by uh, starting to gas his people. He's finally this thing's finally after since 2012. This thing's been full fledged, full fire. It's finally winding down. So what else is he going to do other than start gassing his people? Shows President Assad is still gassing his people with deadly sarin chlorine. The last time this happened, President Trump sent a clear and strong message, dropping 59 Tomahawk cruise missiles. So what happens next? Here now to weigh in, a U.S. Army Special Forces veteran who has conducted counterterrorism operations himself. Jim Hansen, thank you so much for coming on this morning. Um, We're seeing evidence of this happening once again. The president was always critical of Obama and how he wimped out of that red line. He dropped the 59 missiles as, you know, right after this happened last time. Are they probably in the process right now of evaluating this one and making a, a decision? Absolutely. I mean, the first thing they have to do is confirm what actually happened. Right now, we're dealing with cell phone video footage and reports, you know, from the Syrian white helmets who are not always the most reliable. They've got their own agenda. However, if this is confirmed as an attack by the Syrian army using chemical weapons, it puts President Trump in a difficult position. We're trying to negotiate an end to the conflict in Syria, and that requires help from both the Russians and the Syrian uh, regime itself. So this may put him in the position of having to do some damage to them right in the middle of those negotiations. And for those people who don't know, how much of a factor is Russia in this situation? They're a massive factor. I mean, for all intents and purposes, Syria is a puppet state of Russia and, to another extent, Iran. The Russians negotiated long-term leases on their warm water port, which they're very fond of, and also an air base. So it's hard to believe that Assad would go ahead and authorize any kind of chemical weapons attack without the assent of the Russians. Now, that really puts President Trump in the position of having to stare down the Russian bear again. Mm. 
and point out that we're not going to tolerate that. That is unacceptable in any way. And that may throw the, the ability to negotiate an end to this uh, right out the window. Well, you know, the, the rebels in this country are just about beat. I mean, they've been pushed basically backed into a corner. Yeah, it could be that. Or it could be like maybe the CIA just had some extra gas they had to get rid of. And they couldn't. Oh, God, what if that is it, actually? Now I think about it, I was going to make a joke. How about a little overtime conspiracy bacon? Would you guys, uh, would you entertain that? Because I just thought, like, maybe, maybe they don't want to re- it's not like they can transport this obviously dangerous material out of Syria and bring it back to the U.S. or somewhere. They got to get rid of it because they don't want it found either. So uh, let's let a little off on our way out. Ah, that's some horrible. That's some horrible conspiracy bacon. I hope that is not true. I do hope that California succeeds from the nation. Hashtag just saying. Whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends. It is the right of the people to seek a constitutional remedy to the abuse of powers. That's right. There is a conservative segment of California that wants to break away from the rest of the state and become their own state. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Isn't that something? I don't think it's going anywhere, but <laughs> I find it funny. I'm going to watch it. Now, those of us worried about net neutrality or those of you, there has been an interesting sort of background story that's been picking up that I've been watching, and that's – um. Different states just saying, well, screw what the federal government says. Tonight, Washington is among nearly two dozen states behind a coordinated attack to keep companies like Comcast from slowing down your Internet. Twenty-two attorneys general filed a lawsuit challenging the FCC's rollback of net neutrality rules, including Washington AG Bob Ferguson. Now, those Obama-era rules prevented service providers from blocking, slowing, or providing preferred access to the web. The lawsuit claims the FCC's repeal is a, quote, abuse of discretion under federal law. Now, meanwhile, Senate Democrats Democrats say they just need one more vote to pass a Senate resolution to overturn the FCC's decision after a single Republican joined the cause. That is Susan Collins of Maine. Now, Washington Senators Patty Murray and Marie Cantwell helped spearhead that effort. But even if it passes the Senate, it would need to make it through the House and be signed by the president to take effect. There you go. So at the state level, net neutrality may continue on. Now, there's something that we haven't talked about this whole episode. I've dropped a few hints here and there that you may have been clever enough to pick up. But now we will celebrate the moment of the shithole. This is CNN, the most trusted name in news. I say So, guys, here we are. I don't want to say the word. I just don't feel I don't want to normalize it. Donald Trump has turned the Oval Office into a shithole. Shithole. Shithole countries. A shithole. Shithole countries. An asshole. 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 What does it say about you are from shithole countries? Or shithole. Bleephole. The kids are watching. I just don't think that we should say it. Shitholes is woefully uh, a lot of uh, shithole shithole moral shithole shitholes i wasn't shocked i'm not i'm really not outraged by it vile behavior why won't you denounce ever shithole in and of itself i'm sorry isn't what's offensive alt-right jackholes shitholes um which is obviously a big part of it foulest shithole in the world shithole countries come here It does. 
Because, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Look at that grin. Look at that Anderson Cooper grin. He's, got, he's loving it. He is loving it. Oh, man. That is that is my moment of sanity right there, gone for the week. Thank you guys for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the overtime. I had a lot of fun. I'd love to get some support over at patreon.com slash unfelter. Hopefully Mr. Chase will be back and feeling better. Thanks for being here. We'll see you right back here next week.